Today I am continuing to interview David Barton, and he's a, um, I don't know, you're a minister is what I would call you, but you have an expertise in American history, one of the largest collections of um, early documents predating 1812 in the country, and boy, he's just a wealth of information. I appreciate you, David, and appreciate you being on our program. So we've been talking about the pilgrims primarily. We're leading up to Thanksgiving next week is our celebration here in the U.S. And there's just been so much inf misinformation and lack of information about the godly heritage that we began with. And uh, because of it, I think we've been intimidated. Yeah. And people come up with these bold statements that are total lies, but people don't know enough of the truth to be able to counter it. So we've been dealing with a lot of things, talking about separation of church and state. We dealt with uh, socialism versus capitalism mm -hmm. in the early days of the pilgrims and stuff. And, and so uh, I guess we're talking about how the pilgrims and their belief system based on the Geneva Bible influenced the founding of our nation. Yeah. Actually, it's, it, it's an outgrowth of the pilgrims. It's a great example of what happens if people will take God's word and live by it. And too many people take God's Word as a devotional book. The pilgrims took it as a blueprint for life. Uh, the very first public school law came out of that, that 1647, they passed a public school. And, and by the way, let me go back to something. When we were closing yesterday, you were talking about, you know, if, if people would just, if we can get 10,000 people to hear what's being said and just go tell somebody else, that's mm -hmm. 20,000 people. And we are so often incapacitated by thinking, it's only me. I can't do anything. We're told in Proverbs 23, 7, that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you start thinking, it's only me, I can't do anything, you will do nothing. It becomes self-fulfilling prophecy. If I can just point out something about Christianity in general, we've been trying to evangelize the world for 2,000 years since Jesus was here. According to world stats right now, there are 6.9 billion people in the world. Of that, 32% now profess Christianity, so about 2.5 billion. 21% profess Islam, then you go down to, to Hindus at 14%, Buddhists I think it's 6% and on down. Okay, let's just take the 32% that are Christians. If Christians would ignore evangelism and just win one person to Christ this year, at the end of the year, we've got 64% of the world mm -hmm. being Christian. At the end of two years, the entire world is, is Christian. We've been trying to do this for 2,000 years, and it's because so many people who know him don't even just touch one person. That's true. But you know, part of it is like when you share things like what you're sharing about how that we've just been lied to and all of these mm -hmm. things, it overwhelms you. And it makes you think that America has already moved so far yeah. that it, it kind of leaves a, a feeling yeah, you get of depressed. hopelessness. Yeah, it like, does. Well, we're losing this battle. It does. And, and, you know, one of the things the Founding Fathers were very good at understanding was a Bible teaching from Luke 17, where the, when the disciples had been watching Jesus do all these miracles and all these things, and they tried to do some, and it didn't work out for them. And so they came to Jesus in Luke 17, verses 5 through 10, and said, Lord, increase our faith. I and mean, we, we, we just ain't getting this done. Mm -hmm. Increase our faith. And so Jesus, very next verse, said, suppose one of you had a servant who was out plowing or tending sheep, and you go, wait a minute. I asked you to increase my faith. I'm getting a lesson on agriculture here. But he goes through the whole lesson. And at the end, what he says is, this servant says, I've only done that which is my duty to do. 
And he makes the point that spiritual faith and spiritual maturity comes from, not from looking at what is out there, but from just doing the right thing. If you will learn to do your duty, do the right thing, regardless of how you think it's going to work out or not, you will get the right results. And that's Galatians 6, 9. We will reap if we yeah. do not faint. Well, you know, the very thing we've been talking about, the pilgrims, they were a very small group. And yet, because they did their colony, and how many was there? It was only well, 100? Here's your, here's your small group. And this, talk about doing your duty. They come here as 102 people. At the end of the first year, 51 of them are dead. Wow. They're down to 51. At the end of the second year, half of them are dead. After two years, they're down to two dozen people. Now, that two dozen people shaped the economic system of the United States, shaped the government system of the United States. They shaped the, the uh, whole concept of private property, Indian relations in a good way. They are the ones who shaped the concept of a Bill of Rights and written government documents. They are the ones who, who shaped so many aspects. That's awesome. Two dozen Man, people. that ought to be an encouragement. And, and these guys were so duty-driven. Duty and, and in their Mayflower Compact, they, they announced they had come here to evangelize this whole continent of Jesus Christ. They said, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith, the voyage to plant a colony, they were here to, to preach the gospel. Well, bless their little hearts. They found out it's taken all of our time just to stay alive. What it takes to cut firewood and, and get meat dried for the winter, and we didn't plan. And so what they did was they said, you know what? We're going to become stepping stones to our children. We may not get it done in our lifetime. We're going to bust our tail to do it, but we're going to make sure that we lay a foundation so our kids can step on our backs and maybe they can finish it in life. And when you get that mentality that says, I don't care whether I finish it or not. I'm going to bust my tail to do it then somebody else may be the one to finish it. Maybe Elisha finishes what Elijah started. Maybe mm -hmm. that's the way it works. Or maybe you do get to finish it. But the mentality is, I'm not discouraged by the fact that it's not going the way I thought. I'm not discouraged by the fact that we had 102 and we're down, now, down to two, two dozen. I'm not discouraged by the fact that three-fourths of my brethren have died in the last two years. You know, if the, the, anybody else we would think would have quit, but they had that concept of spiritual maturity that says, I'm going to do what's right regardless of the circumstances. And you gave that example of your church and I think four churches in your town banding together and basically And it ended up being over, just one church. Taking they, over the government. That's right, taking over. And you know what? There's people watching this program right now that their church, maybe if they live in a large city, they may not change the whole city, but they could go in and start taking over the PTA. That's right. They could start uh, with the city council and things like that. And as they make an, uh, an impact in their borough or in their community, it can spread out. And One of the things we found out. was everything in politics is numbers. That's all it is, it's numbers. And so we have, for example, after we had found, we, we were able to win the mayor and city council in our town, we said, you know what, political parties, that needs to be next because they're not, they're not running good candidates, they're not running mm -hmm. right. And so in our, in our county, um, in Texas, as in a lot of places, you have precincts. Others have caucuses, but after primary day, you, you have ways to participate. And so we decided we're going to go to the precinct meetings. And so we, we did. And in our particular precinct meeting, there had never been more than 17 people show up at the precinct. We took 79 from our church. Guess what? We elected ourselves delegates to the convention. We got the platform. We get all this pro-life and pro-marriage stuff. We got all this good stuff in. Numbers is all it is. And if we refuse to step up and be part of the numbers, and 79 is not that big, mm -hmm. but it made a big difference mm -hmm. in that town. You know, it doesn't take that many. And, and so that's the problem we have is we watch too much national news. And by seeing national news, we look at huge problems that we can't fix. Stop you know, looking. you made a statement to me back, I think it was in May, that I was at Washington, D.C. with you, and we did that tour of the Capitol. 
And after hearing all of the things and, and seeing all of the godly influence, I mean, nearly every statue, every painting yeah. in the Capitol has something to do with God. I made some kind of a comment, and you you told me, this may not be an exact quote, but you said you've been listening to the Ten Spies. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. You related it <laughs> yeah. to the fact that on the news, all we hear that's is right. the ungodly uh, perspective on stuff, and they're only talking about the bad things. But I was really encouraged. Plus, we had, I don't, you would know, but we had nine or ten um, of the people in Congress come mm -hmm. speak to us, uh, godly people that yeah. were trying to make a difference. And I tell you, there's a lot more good things happening out there than people know. And right. we are being overwhelmed with all of this bad information. And, and it is. And it is the, the 10 spy scenario. And, you know, the thing that's always struck me about the 10 spies is we call them spies because it said they went to spy out the land. But the scripture actually says they were the leaders of the tribes. And so what you're talking about is kind of governor-level people. You know, and it's not, like, it's not like the intelligence community and CIA. Mm -hmm. It wasn't those guys. It was your leaders of the people who went in to look over the land. And they came back and 10 of them said, you won't believe the size of the giants that are there. We are like grasshoppers. And that went, and what has always struck me is over in Joshua 14, because God, God got ticked off at that report. I love what Elijah, I mean what, what uh, Caleb and Joshua said, said. Yeah, there's giants there, but we can kick their tail. God's on our side. And so he, they saw the same facts and got a different conclusion. Yeah. And that's often what happens. Yeah. You see a set of facts, you can reach a negative conclusion, or you can say, hey, with God we can change this. But what, I, what always has struck me and what has really affected me is when they, 40 years later, get back to going into the promised land, and Joshua is now the leader, and Caleb is 86 years old. He's the old man and says, I want the toughest set of giants you got. I want the highest mountain I have to climb. Give me the hardest work. And here's the old man saying that. And, and he reminds Joshua, he said, you remember that when we were here 40 years ago? He said, the report of the 10 caused the heart of God's people to melt. Mm -hmm. And that was a lesson to me that when I say things that discourage God's people, it ticks him off. And that's one of the things I've learned is, you know what? There are giants out there. But there's none of them yet that we can't knock down, that we haven't knocked down, and that we won't knock down if we'll go give God a chance to do something. Yeah. And I don't mean to be Pollyannish about this, because I understand that it goes with a lot of hard work. I, mean, I held political office in Texas nine years. I know what it's like on the inside, but I still know we can do it. Yeah. I've been there. I've done that. You know, I don't know if you saw this, but in Joshua chapter 2, Rahab the harlot said that the day we heard about you, the Lord drying up the yep. Red Sea, our hearts melted, melted. and every man's strength failed. Yep. And so that means that if they would have listened to the two spies instead of the ten spies They'd have and have walked in, it, it would have been a cakewalk because the people that, were scared to death of them. And see, what's happened is we allow... We allow ourselves to be scared off by their criticism. They get really vicious at us. They call us names. They intimidate us. The other thing that limits us, and this here's where knowledge comes in. We get limited and we don't do things because we as Christians, as God-fearing biblical people, we're law-abiding people. We don't want to be anarchists. We don't want to be rebellious. We know from 1 Samuel that that's a sin of witchcraft. So when they tell us, hey, Constitution says you people aren't supposed to be involved. Constitution says separation church and state. Hey, you guys have a lot to atone for because all your people, the pilgrims back there, all the atrocities they committed on the we get told this stuff, and because we say, yeah, you know what, we believe in following the law, well, if the law says we're not supposed to be involved, we don't want to rebel against the law. You've been lied to about what the law says. Yeah. You know, and that's, we're told in 2 Thessalonians that you can believe a lie and be damned. You can be as innocent as you want to, 
But if you believe the wrong information, you get the wrong results, the wrong fruits. And that's why having knowledge of our history is so important. Because when they say separation church and state, I say, oh, yeah, what about it? They say, oh, you can't be involved. I say, no, it's exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's exactly. They go, what? And I'm telling you, we are actually winning this battle in many places. Um, as I've mentioned, I've been involved in a lot of court cases. One of the biggest victories I saw was the Court of Appeals. I think it may have been the second Court of Appeals, sixth, I forget what it is, but the, the court case, the, court, the other side kept using separation, church, and state, and the judges said, that is a tiresome phrase. It's not constitutional. Let's go to the Constitution. That's awesome. And so, man, we need to hear these good see, reports. That's it. And we are winning. And I will tell you, you know, I listed yesterday that if you want to see the, the nonsense out there, you go to religioushostility.org for 1,200 instances of people being arrested for sharing their faith or persecuted or whatever. There's groups out there like Liberty Institute, Liberty Council, et cetera. And I'm good friends with all these guys. I work with all of them. And, and just those two groups in the last, I don't know, 15 years or so, have handled more than 10,000 incidents where Christians have been attacked for sharing their faith publicly. They've won more than 99% of those cases. Praise God. Now, we never hear that. No, and that's see, the first time I've ever heard it. We, we, what we hear about is when we get nailed. What we know is that if we get people to stand up and say, hey, you're not going to do that to me, these guys come in as attorneys, they sue the school district or whatever, and you win because the history's on our side, the law's on our side, the Constitution's on our side, but what these other guys use is what we often call the fiction of the law. If you believe the fiction that the law says you can't be involved and you act that way, what if you find out that's not in the law? Well, mm -hmm. you've limited yourself. And that, well, you know, I'm aware that there's a lot of uh, young people in schools that are told they can't pray, that that's they right. can't have Bible studies, and that's not true. That's and not every true. Every time it's been challenged, we just about win every time. That's but yet exactly many it. Many Christians will still submit to that kind of stuff. Well, and, and see, I, and as an example of, of of what happens here, and how Christians have got to take off on the other side, we win those cases hands down. I mean, we win the graduation cases about saying God and graduation. We had a, a, a kid uh, recently. Who but, was, but David, I, let me excuse me for interrupting. But most people would disagree because they only they hear. hear the times that somebody is uh, criticized and they are their valedictorian status is taken away That's because right. they mentioned. They only hear those. They hear but that. Ninety-nine percent of the time, we win those challenges. Every one we lose, we win ninety-nine on the other side. We have a daily radio program, and on Fridays we have what we call Good News Friday. And all we do is cover the stories that we won that no, media never tells oh, you about. Really? You know, and, and so people get encouraged. But par, 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 part of the problem we have with this is there was a kid that, valedictorian, he thanked God and his parents for all they had done for his education, and they turned his mic off, as they have done many times. And we won that case, but the problem was local pastor, evangelical, went to the kid and said, you should not have said God. Your, your authorities told you not to say God, and you went ahead and said anything. No. Come on, Pastor. Read Acts 4. Where Am I to obey God or man? I, you know, when, when the civil authorities told Peter and John, you do not say God, they said, mm-mm. You know, this is one of the things that is at a the Christians are at a disadvantage because we aren't in unity over it, whereas the immoral people, That's they right. all agree. Yeah that they want to be immoral and they will fight Christians. They're more committed to their cause, I believe, than well, Christians. They, they are, and they're more informed on their cause. And with their, with their side, they're not bound by truth. 
Because if you don't think you answer to God, you can lie about anything, which they do. Separation church and state means you can't say God at graduation. No, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. It means you can't stop me from saying God at graduation. So they're happy to lie about it. Because they don't account to God because they're not, they don't believe there's a God out there. So they're, they're Machiavellian. The end justifies the means. For us, we believe we do account to God. But that doesn't keep us from being informed on what the truth is. I, I love what Paul did. You know, Paul, they were about to beat him and they had that whip pulled back. And he looks over his shoulder and said, are you sure you can beat a Roman citizen? You're a Roman citizen? And the, the centurion the said, yeah, he, he, he appealed to the Constitution, to, to the Roman law. Mm-hmm. He, he was both... Now, he didn't say, I'm an apostle, you can't do this. And I'm going to quote you scripture to show you why. He says, I'm a Roman citizen, and you can't do that to me. And the centurion said, I paid a lot of money for my citizenship. Paul said, not me. I'm a natural-born Roman citizen. Oh, my gosh, let the guy go. Why don't we use the Constitution like Paul did? Why don't yeah, and, we? you know, Christians also, they feel like, well, we're supposed to turn the other cheek. We're supposed to walk in love. And so when a person attacks them, I've, I've been really disappointed with some of the people I've elected and put in, and they just don't attack the other yeah. side. Even though truth is on that side, they won't do it. Whereas the others will sit there and, like you said, use any weapon, yep. lies. Yep. Um, you know, I hate, I'm not trying, I'm trying not to be specific, but I can think of one person who was on a, a ticket for a national office, and the opponents hired something, I forget the exact number, but my wife read the book, and they hired hundreds of people to file frivolous Frivolous lawsuits, and they had to leave their public position and resign because they had over half a million dollars worth of legal fees against them. And that was just dishonest. It's immoral what they're doing. And the conservatives don't fight that way, but the others will. They will. And, and, and all the races I've been involved with, I do a lot of po- political consulting. And there's a particular consultant I know of. And I always tell the candidates that run against this guy, says, here's what's going to happen. Two weeks before the election, he will file a lawsuit against you for libel and slander for this campaign. He's going to bring the wife of the opponent out. She's going to cry real big on TV. And everybody's going to say, well, there's smoke, there's fire. This guy must have been lying about it. All you've been doing is pointing out the other guy's record. And every time they'll file a lawsuit... Then after the election's over and our guy loses, they'll come back out and say, well, we decided to drop the lawsuit. We decided, because they knew they couldn't they, have won it. They couldn't have won it. And so what happens, our people get gullible in that and they step into it. Now, what, one thing that I'll point out that is a biblical trait, Proverbs twenty two twenty one says, a wise man attacks the city of the mighty, pulls down a stronghold in which they trust. We too often are defensive. We step back. We should be on the offensive and going forward. That's what the ACLU has done for years. I talk to superintendents all over the country. Those superintendents say we get a visit once a year from the ACLU, twice a year, say, if we hear that there's prayer in this school, if we hear that you have an activity scene, if we, we will have you in court so fast on a $5 million lawsuit. And so that principal says, oh, my gosh, I, I don't have $5 million. And so the first time he sees a kid praying over his lunch, he jumps on that kid and says, stop that right now, because he can't afford But they well, couldn't win that lawsuit. They can't win. That's right. Now, on the other side, one of the cases we're involved, Jay Sekulow with the American Center for Law and Justice, won an 8-0 unanimous Supreme Court decision saying at public schools, you can have prayer clubs and Bible clubs and evangelism clubs and worship clubs, and the media didn't even cover that. Nobody mm-hmm. covered that. But what Jay did was he went out and raised some money, and they hired some jets, and he put attorneys on jets, and they flew every major city in the nation. They'd put those attorneys out. They would go see a principal say, Mr. Principal, I have here an 8-0 decision from the U.S. Supreme Court. If we hear 
that you don't let these kids have a prayer club or a Bible club or a vision. We will have you in court so fast on a $10 million civil rights lawsuit, you'll never know what hit you. And the principal says, kids, you want a Bible club? Have two, have three. Well, and that's so, the way we've got to do it. That's the way we've got to do it. Because the news media won't cover it, and so we've no, they got won't. to do something like and, that. And we shouldn't be listening to their... their uh, I listen to their news, but not to get their viewpoint. I'll listen I to their news listen to know to how to news. act. <laughs> I, I want to know what to attack. I'm happy to listen to their news so I know what to attack, but I don't let them tell me what I can and can't attack. I tell you what, I you know the, I don't have a lot of exposure to all of this stuff, but the stuff that I do, I go on my AOL to get my reports, and I'll read their little headlines, yeah. and I just can't even handle that because yeah. it's so biased. The, well, the good news is there, there are some groups out there that give you some daily news. And so One News Now or The Blaze or other things, they give you news that also has a lot of good news where we win victories. And when you say, you know what, we don't get our brains beaten all the time. We win a lot of these things. We win most of these things. We win any time we stand up. That's what people you need know, to I see. I really believe that America is more godly and more conservative than the average person has an opinion of because we're listening to a news media right. that is totally just bringing up every bad example. Like you were saying, if there's one case that we lose, they'll focus on that and not about the 99 That's that right. we win and stuff. And so I think it's given an impression to people. Well, but I, America is lost, and I don't think it is. Just real quick, I, I was asked by a former Speaker of the House, he said, where are we on religion and faith in America? And I thought, probably not real good. So I went out and checked current polling, Grab this. 97% of the nation wants to hear Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays. Amen. 92% of the nation wants to keep in God we trust and under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. 86% of the nation thinks that every political meeting should open with prayer. 82% of the nation thinks that we should have daily public prayer, daily prayer in public schools. 76% of the nation thinks that courtrooms ought to have 10 commandments. 76 to 92? We're kicking tail, but we think we're in the five percent. We That's think terrible. It is. We have and lost a perception. The public, uh, public relations battle. That's sure. it. And, and we're believing what the what the enemy's telling us, not what we should be seeing from our own. Joshua and Caleb, listen to Joshua and Caleb. Don't listen to the other ten. That's the reason it's so important what you're doing, David, because you're getting truth out there and representing things and changing people's opinions. That's awesome. But now I guess we want to get into talking about Thanksgiving proper. What Good. is the real Godly heritage of Thanksgiving. What's the origins? You go back, well, there's actually several Thanksgivings that happened in America before the Pilgrims. Uh, you had one in 1619 at Berkeley Plantation, Virginia. You had a, a Thanksgiving actually happened in El Paso back in like 1542 down at St. Augustine, Florida. But there were just services. People would land, Cape Henry, uh, Virginia, when they landed there, the Jamestown colony, they got off, had a Thanksgiving service, and it was kneel down, pray, thank God. But yeah, the I've pilgrims. I've seen that on the CBN. That's right. They, they have that they cross erected there at Cape Henry. That's right. Yeah. And, and so there were several Thanksgiving services, but the pilgrims are the first Thanksgiving festival. The pilgrims incorporated Thanksgiving to God along with a meal, along with friends, along with athletic events. And so that, that three-day festival kind of thing that went on is where we get what we really do this coming Thursday when we're going to have football games on, we're going to have um, big meals, we're going to have, uh, hopefully, we'll remember to thank God and not just do the other stuff Sadly, because the I key... I think that's neglected. That, that's the one that you know, people are into the athletics and, and into the meals and festival and fun, but it was built around thanking God as well. And so that's what the pilgrims did. So when we look to this Thanksgiving that's coming up on Thursday... We really go back to the pilgrim model rather than the other model. 
and the pilgrims, they have gone through this really tough winter. We talked last week how that 102 came. After that winter, there's only 51 left. So is the Thanksgiving after the very first mm -hmm. winter that they survived? It's after that first winter, and they're getting ready to go into the second winter. And as they're getting, it's 16, we're in that 1621 range now. And so 1620, they land in December. And their Thanksgiving is over in the fall of 1621. Mm -hmm. And as they come, they, they have great relations with the Indians. Uh, Indians have helped them immensely. Uh, they found an Indian among them that spoke English, which shocked them. Um, but How did that happen? Quite frankly, it was very provident. They, this is, we talked last week, this is the first ever American printing of all the records of the pilgrims. So their governor kept the records. But a, a guy named Squanto, uh, they called him an instrument sent by God for our good. And so Squanto had actually some years earlier been kidnapped as a slave by some of those secular guys we talked about, not the biblical guys. Secular guys kidnapped him as a slave, took him to England. He learned to speak English in England. He came back to his tribe, and they'd all died as a result of a, of a sickness and epidemic. So he's by himself. So he goes in with, with the, the tribe that the pilgrims later come to come with, Massasoit, I'll get it in a minute here. Yeah. But the Indian names, the, those guys, when the pilgrims came, they they went and met the pilgrims. And this guy started speaking to them in English. It's like, wow. oh my I gosh. That was a shock. Oh, it was. And, you know, he, he brought help and brought friends from the other Indians. And they showed them all sorts of stuff. That, that if you're going to plant, plant crops, you put a little piece of fish in there to act as fertilizer. And if you're going to fish, this is the kind of bait you use. And here's how you do your traps. And if you're hunting, this is what you... And, and so the pilgrims came with their guns and their arms. And, and they had been fishermen and others over in Holland, England, but not like here in America. Mm -hmm. So they had someone to teach them and guide them and get them. They went through that first winter didn't have really any, any help, any guidance. And so it was a really, really tough time. It was a brutal time. They've lost half of, of their congregation. They've lost, everybody's lost family members of some kind, it seems. And so now they're coming into the fall, and they want to do something to thank God for having. I'm not sure how many Christians today would thank God after you've lost 51 people in your group. You yeah, know? you know, that's one of the things about Thanksgiving that really impresses me. Not only the original Thanksgiving, but this Thanksgiving proclamation. We got a little refrigerator magnet. And Lincoln made mention of the fact that even though we're em embroiled in this domestic mm -hmm. uh, strife and there had been unprecedented numbers of people die, he was talking about how we are so blessed. Yep. And if they can praise God through the first winter and through the Civil War and stuff like that, people today have a lot to be praising God for. Let me, let me touch something that's a parallel. We'll get to this later. We'll explain it later. But the, the pilgrims had that first Thanksgiving. We'll talk about that. The next year, it was really bad, and so they had a day of fasting, a day of fasting, humiliation, prayer, seeking God's intervention. They needed God's help really bad. Abraham Lincoln gives that Thanksgiving proclamation, and he gives that at a point in the Civil War, 1863, and we'll talk about the history of how that came to be, but 1863, at that point in the Civil War, he's calling a national day of Thanksgiving. Why? They've had their ears, they've only won two battles in three years. The Confederates have pinned them at Every turn, mm -hmm. these guys are losers. The Union is big time, won two battles out of all the major battles. They only won two major battles. I, th I think the Confederates won 14 battles in that time, something sort. And, and so, a day of Thanksgiving? For what? 
Because it's the right thing to do, because it's the right attitude, because the scripture says in everything, you don't give thanks for everything, you give thanks in everything, and even in the middle of that, he, he thanked God. Now, it's interesting, I mentioned that the pilgrims, I'm going to pull up some stuff here, the pilgrims had that day of fasting, that's the day of Thanksgiving that you mentioned from Lincoln, I want you to see the next year, this is original, this is from Abraham Lincoln, that's his day, the original? that's the original. That's Abraham Lincoln's. Come by things like this. It's a God deal. It's a God deal. It's a God deal. Man, I, I would think that the original proclamation by Abraham Lincoln. Now his original handwritten one. This is the printed one. Oh, okay. So he he did his handwritten one. This is the printed one, but this is the original, and this is Abraham Lincoln, and this is humiliation, fasting, and prayer, and this one right here. Uh, this is where he said we've been blessed beyond belief. But we've forgotten God. I mean, this is there are so many good quotable lines in, in, in this one. And so this, after he delivered this day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer, they only lost two battles the rest of the conflict. The entire tide turned. And so they go Thanksgiving to fasting, and they go from only winning two battles to only losing two battles for the rest of the war. And... That is a, and I use Lincoln, but that's what the, what the pilgrims did. So we'll, we'll get into that more. But you go back to the pilgrims. They're coming up to the fall time. They're getting ready to go into winter. Hopefully, you've got a lot of fish dried and set aside. Hopefully, you've got a lot of venison and, and turkey and others dried and set aside because you're going to have to have something to keep you for six, six months without mm-hmm. being able to do much hunting. And so they're, they're getting ready to go into it, and they're so thankful to God that not all of them are dead. Only half of them are dead. You know, they're, they're thankful that still half of them are alive. And they're thankful to God for Squanto who showed them how to live in that land. And they're thankful for their Indian friends who helped them and, and befriended them. And they're thankful for all this. And so they want to invite their Indian friends to share this time with them. And so this three-day festival. Problem is, they don't have enough food for themselves at that point, much less the Indians. And so in the Pilgrims' own journals, they record that they went out in faith to hunt and in those three days before the festival, they, they, they saw more game than they'd ever seen. Suddenly they're shooting everything. They had been looking for weeks and couldn't find game. And now they make this commitment to have this Thanksgiving festival. And suddenly God seems to bring deer from everywhere, turkey from everywhere. They're catching fish like crazy. And it was, they'd gone out in faith looking for it. Well, I've never heard that. No. And, and they record that by bounty, all, all this miraculous bounty just appears before them. They're able to harvest. Because they, they didn't go into that harvest festival having enough for themselves, much less for the friends that they invited. There's a great lesson in that, and that is that if we will praise God for what we have and begin and just make the commitment, He will provide. He will provide. Prosper As He did with Abraham, you get a you get a ram when you obey God, and that's what they did. So they they had all this bounty. They brought in the venison, and they brought in the fish, and they brought in the other, and they had the fruits and the berries, and they had the the squash and various things. And so they have this three-day festival in which they thank God. That, that's, they did this to thank God for His bounty, and He's provided bounty. Plus, they had enough now to go into the winter. They've got enough to carry them through. And they've got their Indian friends there, and so they have athletic events. They have wrestling matches with each other, and they do races with each other, and they do all these things with one another. And, and so the festival thing of big meals, the festival thing of athletics, the festival thing of thanking God, which is what we often leave out today, 
That's that's where it gets started. Is in 1621. Hmm. That's the start of Thanksgiving. So who won, the Indians or the Pilgrims? You know, I, we don't know the answer to that. That's a good. <laughs> I, I'll bet you both sides won, and, and I'll bet that, that the Indians probably won more than the Pilgrims I, did. I would imagine they were in better. shape. I would imagine they're in a lot better shape, living in that wilderness their whole life as they had. That's just not the same as. So outsiders. we've been told that this. You know, a lot of people now just present it as a. Uh, Harvest Festival or something. I think public schools are getting away from using the term Thanksgiving and yes. into all of that, and they're just trying to totally secularize it. But it was really a celebration to thank God. Um, this is not a perfect analogy, but it's like having the Pope do a service and have it be totally secular. It ain't happening. <laughs> That's not his nature. It's yeah. not the nature of the people who are spending hours a day in God's Word. It's not the nature of these people who use God's Word to create their civil government. It's not the nature of these people who use God's Word to create their education. It's not the nature of these people who use God's Word to create their economics. It's not their nature to have something secular that leaves God out of it. That's, that's illogical. And we know that it's not true because, again, the, the Pilgrim's records, that this is... And, and, and one of the interesting things, when we knew our history... We talked last week about how that God often uses history to launch revivals. Mm -hmm. One of the things I found really interesting was when I was looking back in the First Great Awakening. And the First Great Awakening is an American revival that goes from 1730 to 1770. The Second Great Awakening, there's some 1801 through about 1840, and then there's some after the Civil War. But you look at those revivals, first, first and Second Great Awakening. In the First Great Awakening, we know that George Whitfield was there, but you've got Charles and John Wesley. You've got Gilbert Tennant. You've got Samuel Davies. You, you've got uh, Jonathan Edwards. You've got Samuel Cooper, Jonathan Mayhew. You've got a lot of great preachers involved in, in that thing, really significant preachers in that, that awakening. Second Great Awakening, you've you got guys like Lorenzo Dow and Charles Clay. And you've you got Charles Finney and all these famous guys in Second Great Awakening. What was really interesting to me was in looking back over the sermons, in that, and, and by the way, just as another thing, America would not exist as a nation had it not been for that first great awakening, had it not been for the Whitfields and all those. Whitfield feast, preached a famous sermon called his Father Abraham Sermon. John Adams wrote about it, told Jefferson about it. Uh, amazingly, 80% of all Americans physically heard George Whitfield preach a sermon, physically heard that. And technology being what it was, wow. horseback, that tells you the penetration he had with the gospel. And 80% of all Americans physically heard him preach a sermon. So, but you look back at what they did, and they were into history, and they were into the pilgrims. They were talking about, look at our godly foundations. We have to come back to our godly foundations. And even in that revival, they were looking back to the pilgrims and back to history. In the Second Great Awakening, you have the same thing happen. Daniel Webster, John Quincy Adams are giving orations on the pilgrims and how the pilgrims laid the godly foundations in America. And if we're going to be a good nation, we have to come back to the godly foundations. Look how they applied the word. And I just find it amazing that when there's a revival going on in our nation, First or Second Great Awakening, we went back to the pilgrims. We went back to those godly roots and said, hey, look what we can learn here. Look how the word of God applies to practical things in life. And that's just a, a great lesson for us today. You know, going back to something we talked about last week is um, how that we've got to do something. We have to yeah. change our opinion, and then we have to influence other people. And we were saying that we need to start getting involved on a local level. So if people watching this program, if their kids are in a school where it's no longer Thanksgiving and it's um, harvest celebration and they take all mention of God away, and if Christmas is now the winter break instead of Christmas and stuff like that. 
What's the godly response? What, what would you suggest? Let's push the envelope. We, we were talking about how the Christians have to go on the offensive. We cannot be on the defensive and how that even the legal community were winning stuff like crazy. Now, this little thing right here that you're offering to everybody, mm -hmm. they can go to the website and buy this little track. And it's the history of Thanksgiving in America, and it's really religious. It has all the religious content, the proclamations. It talks about how George Washington did this, and Thomas Jefferson, all these others. And so what kids can do is they can go to their school and give one of these to every one of their classmates. Get one of these, give them to classmates. Now, when the school principal comes and says, you can't do that, then the parents are going to say, no, I'm going to call Liberty Council, Liberty Institute. I'm going to call for the American Center for Law and Justice. Then go to our website. There's seven legal groups there that will defend them for free, and they will win these cases. That's awesome. So that, that's the simple thing to do is let's, let's push the envelope a little bit. Let, let's kind of prod them. Just let, let, let's give one of these to every kid in our classroom. And then when the principal and the teacher says, you can't do that, take those up right now, you call one of these attorney groups that will defend you for free and will win the case, and you get God back in schools through, through Thanksgiving. And that, that's an easy way to do that's it. That's great. So, man, the Christian influence on Thanksgiving is undeniable, yeah. and yet today people are in denial about it, and um, it's just not the historical record at all. Now, and and the, these things, uh, this is called the New England Memorial. This is online. People ought to go read the first Thanksgiving online. One of the things you ought to do on Thursday is watch the football games. That's fine. I guess there's three football games Thursday. Have all the turkey and dressing and pumpkin pie and whatever you're going to have. That's fine. But you take time to have time set aside to worship God. And while you're at it, just have somebody pull up online the, the account of the first Thanksgiving. Read that to your family. Now, how do you get that online? Now, this, this is called the New England. And, and by the way, I was talking earlier about how that... Um, in that revival time, we were looking back. I, I did not even know this was in here. Now, this is this is the first printing of the Pilgrim Records of America, 1669. This is printed. I opened it up before the program, and I saw this in here, and I said, what in the world is this? And I pulled this out, and this is a newspaper of the day, but it is sewn on the back here. And what they did was they took the newspaper as a cover, and it's this little journal that they've got written in here. It's all handwritten in here, this journal. And it says up top, this is the members of the Church of Christ in Essex, Massachusetts, which was formed October the 25th, 1797. And it lists all the founding members of the church. And it goes through year by year and lists all the female members and all the male members. And I find it interesting that the founding of a church they had right here in the front of the Pilgrim Records that they were studying these records, and that was part of why the church existed, was look how we started. And see, this is so biblical. So what happens is on Google Books, on a number of book sites, and on our website, we link you to, to book sites. If you'll go to Google Books and type in New England Memorial, it'll bring up this entire book. All, all the pages have been scanned. You can look at every page. Go to 1621. And in 1621, you'll find the records of the first Thanksgiving. There's also online, and we have it on our website as well, the, one of the elders in the Pilgrim Church, a guy named Edward Winslow, wrote a letter back to England saying, guess what we just did? And he describes the Pilgrim Thanksgiving. So between this book and between that letter from, from, elder, uh, from elder that was in the church, Winslow going back, we know what happened that Thanksgiving. And that's fun stuff to remember on Thanksgiving Day. And I'd like to read that. Go to Google Books. All right. And at Google Books, you're looking for this book called The New England M Memorial. 
right there. New England Memorial. New England Memorial. And in 1621, you'd go to those records. And 16, the there, these are chronological in here, 1621. But it, even in our website, if you just search for Thanksgiving, we have some of those early proclamations up, and we link to a bunch of this stuff as well. So this, this is New England Memorial. And that's the early records of the pilgrims, and it goes year by year by year through here. And it's fun just to read the whole book. And so any school that would just take Thanksgiving and make it about a harvest festival or mm -hmm. anything like that is misrepresenting history. We saw last year that they were not even letting uh, the kids dress up as pilgrims because that's a religious group. And oh, so really? you were not even allowed to dress up as pilgrims. And so that is totally against our hist history. It's re revisionist. And if they were to do what you said and take these tracks and give them out or do something like that. And even if they don't get the tracks, if, if your school says, oh, you can't mention God at Thanksgiving, or your school says something like, oh, you can't dress up like a pilgrim, you call one of those legal groups and you say, here's what my school is saying. And that legal group would be happy to say, we'll give them a letter. We'll show them they can't do that. I think that. that most Christians aren't aware that they could be represented like this or they think it's going to cost them an arm and a leg. For free. These guys, it's, a, it's a ministry. These guys raise money to be able to defend Christian beliefs in public. And they are, as we talked about on Friday, they win over 99% of their cases. You know, it's, it's, so it's no risk to the parents. And this is a good way That's to awesome. push back the culture. So let me, we don't have much time left today, but let me just ask you, and we'll set this up for tomorrow. Why is Thanksgiving and what the pilgrims did important to us? Because it teaches us to remember to put God first. In the book of Micah, we're told because they did not remember God. We're told in Romans 128, because they did not like to retain God in their consciousness. This helps us remember to put God first, not as individuals, but as a nation. As a nation. As a nation. And that's really significant. And I think this is where a lot of Christians miss it. Personally, they are fanatical and they're committed to God and in their personal life. But when it comes to a public setting, they just feel like that you cannot do this. We uh, started talking about the actual holiday of Thanksgiving, and you had this little thing right here. That is this the original cover? That it went is. On that? That's the original. Why cover. is it all shrunk? Well, it is. Shrunk. It is animal skin, and over time, as humidity has come in and out, the animal skin has kind of shrunk up. So, if you know what it's like when leather gets wet, it kind of shrinks. And this has been wet at some point in the last 350 wow. years. So, so this was just, 16 what? This is 1669. Wow. So anyway, we've been using a lot of documents to verify these things and started talking about the Thanksgiving holiday. I guess today we ought to talk about how did we get, make this a national holiday for the United States. You know, it's interesting that because we studied our history and knew our history and because we knew that the Bible, and you know, we talked about the Geneva Bible specifically because that's what the pilgrims used, but it was these commentaries in the Bible that built our Republican form of government that gave us written bills. So many countries did not use written constitutions or written documents. And the problem with that is they, they didn't because whatever the king said was what was law was. So you didn't even write it down. If it you said it's a, it, it changed king. from king to king. And, but the pilgrims pointed out that, look, when God gave the law to his people, he wrote it out. With his own finger, he wrote it and gave it to Moses. And then they wrote down the law. And then every king of Israel after that is supposed to make a handwritten copy of the law before they were inaugurated. And so God is into written laws because you can go back to that and rely on it and it doesn't change. But if you were in Europe at the time, you didn't have this. Well, not only did the pilgrims say we want a written law, the pilgrims said we want a written bill of rights. 
And we, we need to list the rights that government cannot. That's part of separation of church, church and state. Separation of church and state, we're saying, government, you can't touch these things. Our Bill of Rights today is what is now used for the federal government to regulate every area. No, Bill of Rights was to say, federal government, you cannot touch this area. Separation of church and state, you keep your hands off this. You, you can't touch our right of self-defense. You can't touch the sanctity of our home. You can't touch our right to have justice. You can't touch our right of speech. You can't touch our right of freedom of religion, rights of conscience. Now it's exactly opposite. But it the seems like that we have a mindset that the federal government is almighty. Well, it tells us they, they are. they led us... Uh, you know, they By their grace, could, that's but the, right. But the mindset of the pilgrims and the founding fathers was that, no, the people are the ones that have right. the ultimate power. And this was telling the government what they could and couldn't do. That's exactly right. And, and that, was, that was, limited government comes out of the Bible. It doesn't come out of the Constitution. It comes out of the Bible. The Constitution incorporated those principles, and we'll look at that later. But the pilgrims had a huge effect on, on all this through the way they inculcated thinking. So this is, this is what shaped so much of America. So from this... They want to honor and acknowledge God in everything they do. So they had that time, their first year, they've made it through the winter, they're coming to the harvest time. They want to thank God for having carried them through a year here, here on the continent. And so in doing so, they have that, that festival we talked about yesterday, the, the fact that the athletics was involved, a big meal was involved, and worship and thanksgiving to God was involved. Now, how did that become what we have today? Well, what we have today is not very Good. How, how did it become the holiday that we have today, which is a good holiday, it's just that we don't practice it yeah. the, the way we should. The reason Thanksgiving is important is not only do we want to remember God, we want the nation to remember God. So after we've gone through the pilgrim thing, what happened was other colonies started saying, that's good. We're, we're going to also honor God. And so all across New England, from that pilgrim model, they started having days of Thanksgiving once a year, always in the fall. Uh, the day of Thanksgiving, the, the, the Lincoln Proclamation that, that you pointed to, that you have, I think that was actually celebrated the first week of December. It wasn't, it wasn't November. It might be October. It might be November. It might be December. Sometime in the fall, we're going to have a day of Thanksgiving. And so that became such a big deal all over the New England colonies. Um, this, for example, and, and there's going to be some reflection. I apologize for the light that's going to happen. But John Langdon, now most people don't know who John Langdon is. He's a signer of the U.S. Constitution, but he was also governor of New Hampshire. This is a proclamation for a day of Thanksgiving in New Hampshire. Now, he also has a lot of prayer requests down here. He's having the people pray day of Thanksgiving, and he's praying that God's word would spread all over the, the, the colony uh, of New Hampshire. He's praying that, that Christ would be better. I mean, his, his prayer request would make people's blood curdle today if they were in the ACLU or something yeah. else because it's not very uh, secular sounding. They are just denying that this is our history. That's right. But this is, but here's, this is actually the first... Printed. Well, no, this, this, is, this is just an example of how the states did it. This is from Connecticut. This is Oliver Wolcott. He's a signer of the Declaration. He's now governor of Connecticut. He's called a day of Thanksgiving. Uh, here's one out of uh, Jonathan Trumbull. He's also from Connecticut. This is a, a day I, of Thanksgiving. What I was asking is, are these original? Oh, these are originals. They aren't the original document, but the original This is the first printing of them. Mm -hmm. okay. So the, so the governor... Back to that's right. The governor would have written it out by hand, and then it would be printed. And, and, and a matter of fact, I'll, I'll show you one here. I'm going to lay those down right there. I'll show you one that's written by hand by President of the United States. We actually have one written by hand by President Chester A. Arthur. Mm -hmm. That is his handwritten Thanksgiving proclamation. Now, from that... They took and made those printed broadsides that oh, we're looking well, at. Would the year have been on that? Let me check it right here. And it is the year of our Lord, 1881. And people don't like that. No, they don't like I've that either. I've noticed that they're getting away from before Christ and 
mm -hmm. anti-dominoes. Well, I know a, a congressman uh, who was a judge before he was in Congress, and he sends all of his constituent letters back. He signs them in the year, signed Congressman so-and-so, in the year of our Lord, 2013. The committees in Congress, ethics committee said, oh, no, you can't use in the year of our Lord. He said, don't tell a judge you can't quote the Constitution. He said, that is an exact quote out of the Constitution. Amen. It says, in the year of our Lord, 1787, don't tell me I can't quote that. I tell you, Christians need to get more of They need to stand up and get a backbone. That's exactly right. we would stand up and push our agenda as much That's as we're right. ungodly and push their agenda, I think it would make a difference. And we're in the right. I mean, they, they keep telling us we're in the wrong, and we believe that. We, we believe a lie. But but all this thing about proclamation, and, and I mentioned we mentioned about how the, the 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 pilgrims also had the next year a day of fasting, and that day of fasting was really interesting because they were they had planted their food and, and they need their food in the springtime, otherwise they're going to have a bad winter. Mm -hmm. And their their food had been planted, and the rains were not coming; they were lacking rains. So the pilgrims in 1622 called for a day of fasting. And they got together, they fasted, their crops were just weathered and not doing well. They fasted and fasted and prayed and prayed, and God sent rain right after they, they fasted. And the rain was a very gentle rain. When rains came at that time in the spring, there were always storms. And what happened was the Indians actually saw them pray and fast for rain, and they saw a gentle rain come. The Indians went to them and said, we saw you pray, we saw you pray to your God, we saw him send rain, but the rain we always see this time of the year always destroys our crops. It's, it's always thunderstorms and hail, and, and that was a gentle rain. We want to know your God. They literally said, as a result of watching that prayer be answered through prayer and fasting, that we want to know your God. That's all. Now, is this in these journals that you're talking um, about? I, I, that was in the writings of some of the pilgrims talking about it. The, the governor of the pilgrims talked about how the Indians came to it. That's mm -hmm. in a book called Of Plymouth Plantation. Governor William Bradford wrote that book, and he accounts uh, the records. And so he talks about how the Indians came and wanted to know our God because they saw the gentle rain that fell. But that started something else. What happened was, all right, this is the spring. You had a day of fasting. In the fall, you had a day of Thanksgiving. So it started all across New England. Every year in the spring, the governors would call a day of fasting. And in the fall, you would have a day of Thanksgiving. Now, let, let, me, let me just pull some out here just for grins. I showed you the Abraham Lincoln Fasting Proclamation. Uh -huh. Just let me pull some others here that are a little different. These are all fasting proclamations. This is from John Hancock. This is, and they called these broadsides, by the way, because what they did was they nailed these to the sides of barns or to trees or anything else. And so this is the way the governor lets you know. Well, this is a proclamation for a day of public fasting, humiliation, and prayer. He's got in big letters down here, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Redeemer Jesus Christ. And part of what he's praying and fasting, and this is governor of Massachusetts, part of what he's praying and fasting for here is he's praying and fasting that anybody that doesn't know Jesus will come to know Jesus in the state of Massachusetts. You go, really? That's awesome. We, we, we don't even do that in church. I mean, when's the last time churches fast? But here you got a governor, founding father, signer of the Declaration, ratifier of the Constitution, president of the convention who ratified the U.S. Constitution for a day of humiliation fast. Because in New England, in the springtime, you had one of these days. Uh, here's one right here. So anybody who sits here and says that you know, these people were not 
Christians. They were atheist Christians, agnostics, deists. At the very best, yeah. deists and stuff, and they weren't worshiping the Lord and stuff. How in the world can you look at a proclamation that this guy makes and come to that conclusion? This may be inappropriate, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's all right. I get a lot of criticism. There's, Might as well get criticized for what you do. There's a lot of... I, I love watching movies, and I love, you know, I love movies that are chick flick and, and wholesome movies. And one of the movies I like watching is an old movie called Princess Bride. Yeah. And there's a point in time where he makes a comment, and she comes out, and she says, liar, liar. Uh, yeah, so yeah. When, when they say, oh, no, the founding fathers didn't believe in God, liar. Yeah. It, give me a break. The Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, praying and fasting people come to know Jesus. Now, see, this is John Hancock, signer of our documents. Here is one. This is Samuel Huntington. He's a signer of the Declaration General in, in the American Revolution. This is a day of fasting, humiliation, prayer in Connecticut. Same kind of emphasis on Jesus Christ here. Uh, here is one. It's not an isolated event. No, one no, no. Here, here's Oliver Wolcott, signer of the Declaration, founding father. He's a day, uh, this is a day of, of humiliation and prayer. Same kind of prayer request, Jesus Christ right here. Here's one by Samuel Adams. He's the father of the American Revolution. Same stuff. A day of public fasting, humiliation. Do you know by 1815, there were 1,400 government-issued calls to prayer in America by 1815? Wow. Founding father's still alive. Oh, by 1815, you've got 1,400. And about half of them were for fasting and prayer, and about half of them were for Thanksgiving. It goes back to the pilgrims. The pilgrims had the day of Thanksgiving first, the day of fasting next, then a day of Thanksgiving, and then it just kept going. And that became a, a national tradition. Now, the South didn't do that much. It was mostly the northern colonies. And it changed when all the colonies came together in the American Revolution. Because in the American Revolution, you have the Continental Congress, which is made up of colonies from the north and the south. The guys up north have been doing prayer proclamations for years. The guys in the south just rarely do them. When they got in Congress, they did them. And so Congress throughout the eight years of the American Revolution, alternated between a day of Thanksgiving, a day of fasting, day of th two a year, two calls a year. There are 15 calls to prayer in the Continental Congress where the entire Congress of the nation is calling all 13 states to days of fasting and prayer and days of Thanksgiving and days of fasting. And it is so cool to read those proclamations of the American Revolution because it'll start out with, uh, for, the first one was in 1774. John Adams talks about it and they called a day of, of fasting. Well, a few weeks later, and the day of fasting, by the way, is very specific. We're facing this. We need help on this. We need God. And a few weeks later in the, in the records of Congress, a few months later, you see this thing that says, you remember all that stuff we prayed and fasted about? Look how God answered the prayers. Let's have a day of Thanksgiving. It goes and lists all the answered prayer requests. So a day of Thanksgiving. Then about four, five, six months later, they say, we got a lot of stuff to pray for. So another day of prayer and fasting. Then four, five, six months later, they say, look at how God answered the prayers. Let's have a day of Thanksgiving. And so it alternated Fifteen times in the, in the Continental Congress, awesome. and it's spread across. Now, from that, you, you have this going of nearly every year you have this, which now we're under the U.S. Constitution. We've finished the Revolution. We've gone in the Constitution. And this is the first ever Thanksgiving proclamation. This is, this is done October the 17th, 1789, signed by George Washington right there. Now, why would George Washington call the entire nation to a day of prayer and thanksgiving? I want to read the first paragraph. Sure. He tells us why he calls us to prayer. This is what George Washington said. He said, it is the duty, and I'm going to emphasize that word duty, because mil military men know that, but he says, it's the duty of all nations, grab that, not individuals, duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, 
to be grateful for his benefits and humbly to implore his protection and favor. Therefore, I'm calling the day of Thanksgiving. Now, Washington said a nation has a duty to do four things. A nation has a duty to acknowledge God, to obey his will, to acknowledge, to be thankful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. He said, because nations are supposed to do those four things, that's why I'm calling the nation to a day of Thanksgiving. That's awesome. Now, that's the father of the country. That's yeah. the guy, the president of the Constitutional Convention. That, and we're told today, oh, no, you can, we, there's a lawsuit going, that's been going in Colorado that says, oh, no, you can't have a day of prayer in Colorado. And crazy judge said, oh, you can't have a day of prayer because days of prayer have only been going since 2004. What? How about back to 1621, yeah. 1622, and 1,400 times by 1815? But see, he doesn't know history. But that's why we have Thanksgiving, because it's the duty of nations, not just individuals at home on Thursday. It's the duty of nations to acknowledge God. Yeah, I think that's awesome that you're going back and quoting all of these signers of the Constitution, George Washington. But here's an even higher authority. It says here in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and it talks about all of these curses will come upon you, etc. And here's the reason. Because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Yeah. And so yeah. the Lord right there says that we have an obligation Thank you very much. to be thankful unto Him. Yeah. So this is not something that just started with America. This goes all the way back to God commanding us to be joyful. And this, I really believe that the... Day of Thanksgiving, in my opinion, is the most godly holiday that mm -hmm. we have in its origins mm -hmm. and stuff. You know, I, and you could probably correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I've heard that George Washington uh, didn't actually encourage. He outlawed Christmas and stuff like that right. because it had pagan background and stuff involved in it. But, but Thanksgiving is just absolutely started to give thanks mm -hmm. unto God. It's changed to a lot of people, but it, it is a godly holiday. Well, let me, let me hit the Christmas thing, because that's a great point. We talked last week about the three periods of Christianity. Period one, period of purity, period two, the period of apostasy, period three, the period of reformation. And what happened in that period of apostasy, the state-established church did a lot of pagan stuff associated with mm -hmm. Christian things. And so as they got to the period of reformation, they didn't like Christmas, because the way it was associated, uh, they liked the birth of Christ. No problem with that. Yeah, but the way it was pagan. celebrated, they didn't like that. But what happened is George Washington didn't have trouble with Christmas because he is an Anglican. And that was the state-established church of England. And so Christmas is celebrated in the Anglican. But the Puritan folks, and that's the Congregationalists, those guys in Massachusetts, no way. No way. And so all the way up until literally the Civil War time, Christmas was outlawed in New England because they considered it a pagan holiday. Okay, so just for my correction, it wasn't Washington then. It was the Puritans during that period It, it was of the time. Puritans who set it out as, as no, no dice. As a matter of fact, I think at about the Civil War time, you could be suspended from school in New England if you celebrated Christmas holiday. Now, if Christmas fell on a Sunday, they would celebrate it in, in New England, and they would have sermons about it, and et cetera. And everybody was into the birth of Christ. Hmm. Uh, matter, matter of fact, John Quincy Adams, who was himself a Puritan, uh, John Quincy Adams, sixth president of the United States, and I say Puritan, he's the descendant of Puritans, yeah. but they consider that Puritans. In uh, 1837, Fourth of July speech he gave, he said, what we have done on the 4th of July is we have celebrated what happened on the birth of Christ. Because when Christ was born and came into the world, he brought forth certain principles. 
Fourth of July, we've taken those principles and made them into our nation. And so he loved the birth of Christ. They just didn't love the celebrations that went with it. Now, if you're Anglican, which is high church, Anglican, Catholic, some Presbyterians, some Lutherans, they're going to celebrate Christmas. If you're lower church, which is Methodist, which is Baptist, which is Congregationalist, you're not going to celebrate Christmas. So in America, Christmas was pretty much a split deal, but not Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving, you stop and you thank God. You thank God. That's the point that I was trying to make is because there is a lot of ungodly things associated with Christmas. A Yule log wasn't a Mm -hmm. Christian deal and just so much stuff. But man, Thanksgiving is a godly holiday. I think Christians ought to really celebrate that. And, of course, it shouldn't be limited to one day, but there's certainly nothing wrong with setting aside a well, national day to worship A God. national day to worship God. And, and even if you go back to the book of Ezra, it's a cool thing that Ezra had a day of fasting before they set on the journey. They said, mm-hmm. we've been bragging of the king that God's going to protect us. Let's make sure he does. And so they stopped at the river. They had a day of prayer and fast. Then they get there, and what do they do? They have a day of thanksgiving. And so that day of thanksgiving, day of fasting, that's, that's biblically precedented, and that's what we did. And as we pointed out, this is not limited to individuals. It was the duty of nations. John Adams in his proclamation said it's not only the duty, he said it's the indispensable duty of nations. He said this is not just a duty. This is a duty you cannot avoid. You have to do this. And I think that's what elevates Thanksgiving is that I thank God every day of my life. I'm a very thankful person. I do this. But as a nation, Mm -hmm. we need to thank God because this nation has been blessed as no other nation that I'm aware of has ever been blessed. And and I I love George Washington's proclamation because he says, you thank God, but you do three other things. A nation is to obey his will. A nation is to be grateful for his benefits. And a nation is humbly to implore his protection and favor which is why we called the nation to prayer on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and now today they say, no, you, not the nation. You can do that in church if you want to. Do it at home, but we're not going to do it. No, that's not our founding. Our founding, we do this as a nation. By the way, our birth certificate says that the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States in Congress assembled say, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created by a creator equal, Wait a minute, that's a unanimous declaration of Congress is, hey, there's a God, yeah. that God gives us our right, God gives us our rights. Yes, absolutely. That's the duty of nations, and don't let anybody tell you this is Amen. a private duty. I tell you what, the secularization of our nation is totally against everything that it stands yeah. for, and it's not going to exist and continue on if we continue to allow it to go the direction it's going. That's right. So this is really important. I think it's really important, David, that we are elevating and talking about Thanksgiving because it's really at a core of things, if we don't recognize God and His providence and His protection and stuff, um, we're just doomed unless we get back to that. So it's really important what you share. The Bible says that all those nations that forget God will be turned into hell. It's really important to remember God and acknowledge God. Sad to say, I think that the church has done a really poor job educating people and standing for these things. And, you know, I, I think that democracy or republicanism, whatever, is the right term, uh, we're just voting people into office and yeah. stuff that reflect our lack of morals today. That's right. It really is. And so it really comes back on the church that we have not been winning the battle for people's hearts. And that's the reason they're voting the people in. That's right. That they are. I agree totally. So it needs to change. And we're doing our bit right here to share these things.